You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of Us needs and appreciates all your support. This episode of Digital Noise is brought to you by Film Movement Plus. The streaming service Film Movement Plus opens up a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But, as a listener of Digital Noise, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial, plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code NOISE. Sign up today at FilmMovementPlus.com. This Digital Noise episode also is a video version for subscribers at the brown coat level or above. Become a subscriber and get the extended video version. It's time for digital noise. Digital noise. Digital noise. With your digital boys. Digital boys making our digital noise. We sound like a like a <laughs> early '90s like teen boy band. A very the digital a very boys. white teen boy band. Yeah, with Z of yes. course. Oh, we might have one Latino or Asian guy. Eh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> you the know. '90s weren't the most woke. <laughs> no, they decidedly were not. Um, I, I didn't even know about it. I, people are always amazed because a lot of my friends like you are a lot younger than me. And I'm always like, yeah, I have no idea what that song is that made like the triple platinum and stuff because it was from y'all's generation when you were 10 years old listening to whatever was on the radio. Whereas I was out having sex with women and doing drugs at at bars and and the like. And we were not listening to NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. If it makes you feel any better, I'm going through that at work because i am very quickly nearing 40 and the people i work with are definitely not um <laughs> yeah oh it's gonna get weirder and weirder the older we get we're gonna yeah. try, and it does man there's more and more people like i you know the meme you see on facebook like oh god i'm so old you know where it's like oh the people don't know what this is and i'm like <laughs> really like some of the shit's like y'all don't y'all are just babies saying that you're old at this point which just basically makes me methuselah yeah, I know. when you get like two or three i'm old cycles back it's just it's worse every time every single time true so if you want to know what being old is really like i'll tell you guys it's not great yeah but it is fun to continue to hang out and do the same sort of shit that I did when I was younger and it didn't hurt so much. Some of which is hanging out with my buddy Aaron, except we can't do it in person, which means I don't have to deal with the hangovers anymore. Aaron still does, hey. though. So far, because we are both, at least I'm vaccinated now. I have successfully been fully vaccinated. And as soon as you are, then 
like I desperately need human contact. You know that we're going to be doing some recording in person because just we oh just yeah for the sake of a human touch. Yeah, no question. Well, because we usually you know make each other feel good yeah. when we're doing the shows. You know, we got to get since... a little massage. Yeah, yeah, just, ooh, my shoulder's yeah. got like a knot there, Aaron. You mind getting that for me? You know Thanks, well, while I talk about this Blu-ray. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about some Blu-rays, for God's <laughs> sakes, before this gets even weirder. Uh, we have a big stack to talk about this week, and we're going to start off with the one that weirdly had a lot stronger legs than I yeah. thought it was going to, The Kid Detective. Uh, interesting idea that does not go at all tonally where I was expecting it to. I went, oh, okay, this is what does ever happen to kid detectives, you know, like your, your your Hardy Boys and your Nancy Drews and what have you, once they grow up. Like, what did they do then? We never really see that story. So you get Adam Brody as the kid detective who's all grown up. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be funny. Well, I didn't realize that it was going to be kind of sad. <laughs> I've seen I've seen movies that I thought were kind of like this, where we have that... Um, adult darker take on the kid detective idea and those times even though the characters have grown up it's always played up as it that's the entire joke and it's just ha 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 here's some really dark fucked up violent shit and isn't that funny this movie instead seems to take the tact of like that kid as a realistic human being who did grow up Instead of just doing the same old stuff, like he's running into the ennui that comes from getting older and being disillusioned. The, the movie ends up being really less about an the actual mystery, although there is very much a mystery, and more about him coming to terms with the fact that he's not a kid and the world isn't perfect. Yeah, he uh, he's in his 30s. He has decided, you know, well, this is my strength. When the whole town used to love me when I was a kid detective, now they don't love him so much. But he's continues to operate a detective agency, despite the fact that even his family's like, maybe you should look for something else. <laughs> and uh, he gets approached by a high school student, Caroline, who says, I need you to help me with now, my boyfriend, Patrick, who was murdered, and he never actually investigated a murder case before. So he's like, oh, this is going to be a big one. I'll just do this, you know, for gratis. She couldn't afford to pay me really anyway, right? And discovers uh, a lot of actual deep secrets that were going on with said boyfriend, Patrick. And, uh, you know, a lot of like a, a lot more shit than you would expect, given the circumstance where it looks like it's going to be a lot more simple than it actually is. And everything sort of dog. It sort of ends up back where it all began for the kid detective, Abe, as everything ends up tying into the one big case he couldn't solve that kind of broke him when he was younger. And, you know, I mean, that all sounds like you could have played it just for laughs, and there are some laughs here. I'm not going to say there aren't. But, man, it's just so sad, this movie. It's just kind of relentlessly it's, sad. It's melancholy is the way I keep describing it. Yes. Because it's not like things are happening that are excessively bleak, well, at least until towards the end. Um, but it's it's more just like, no, this is life, man. You kind of have to deal with some of this, and you should learn how to uh, how to move on. Um yeah, like, I ended up really enjoying this movie, actually, a lot more than I expected to. I, I got into the the growth of his character uh, in that arc uh, more than I really was expecting to. Although, like, w when it got to a... Uh, 
Sorry, I apologize. I had a little burp. Um, like w- w- so disgusting. <laughs> when it got into uh, the third act, when things start getting a lot more twisty and a lot more intense and dark, you're right. There was definitely a few times of like, oh damn, you're gonna do that and you're gonna go there. All right, yeah, cool. And it it handled it respectfully or in a believable way every time. There was never a point where it was like, okay, that was stupid just for a laugh. And I thought it started absurd, which is why it's weird that it didn't take long before it wasn't that movie anymore. Like, as soon as he you grows know? up, it's just, no, no, this is the real world now. Yeah. I mean, even then, though, there was a period where it was like, okay, they're still playing this for laughs because, haha, isn't this pathetic? This guy's like the, you know, he's like, he hasn't grown up at all. Ultimately, it's a fable about people who refuse to grow up. Oh, my God. Maybe that's why I liked <laughs> it not as much as you did. Because, like, I'm like, well, I don't want to hear this shit. Okay, you shut up, movie. Meanwhile, Aaron here with, like, what, 17 kids now or something? I'm not even sure. See? <laughs> I did connect to that arc. And like, there's even a bit where halfway through his adventure, when he's investigating this murder and everyone in town is going like, you, you, you really shouldn't be doing this. Uh, he thinks he's being tailed and like, it ends up being his parents just going like, no, we, we just, we, we just wanted to make sure you were okay and we're safe. And uh, I, I, <laughs> I felt for it is all I felt. Yeah. No, I mean, I think this is a good movie that I didn't connect with as much as most of the other people I know who saw it did. I definitely recommend it because I think everybody else liked this a lot more than I did, but I didn't dislike it per se. I just, I didn't walk away from it going, I got to tell everybody about this movie. Are we segueing into The Court Jester now? We're segueing into the next film, which is a Blu-ray uh, Paramount Presents series, the 13th in the Paramount Presents series, which are sort of notable for the front covers of all of them fold open to the original theatrical movie posters, which is kind of a it's cool fun. thing, I guess. It's fun. Yeah. I, I always like that kind put, of thing. Yeah. They put out a whole bunch of these from all across the Paramount's sizable period of time they've been uh, releasing movies. And the latest one is going pretty far back to 1956 for The Court Jester. Now, this is a movie I remember very fondly from my childhood. It was a film that my dad really liked and got played a decent amount at the house. I believe we had a VHS copy of it at some point. Really? But it was definitely a movie that like, was, for me, an early introduction to the rather sizable com- comedic talents of Danny Kaye, who later ended up being a big part of why one of my favorite movies of all time is one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Singing in the Rain absolutely great yeah, this is actually the first time i have seen the court jester i didn't even know it existed until you put it in front of me uh so i went into this knowing absolutely nothing uh it is so much funnier and more delightful than i expected any kind of movie of this era to be like you forget how naturally physically talented he is Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like, when you think of Singing in the Rain, you think more of Gene Kelly as the physical performer. But Danny Kaye, although he wasn't known for, he didn't have that very specific skill as a tap dancer that Kelly was one of the best, if not the best, in the world at. He was really good at dancing and physical movement. I mean, like, if there's a point where it feels like almost everybody from a certain period of time in Hollywood had, like, Jackie Chan-level physical skills for stunts and, like, movement. And you're like, God damn, these guys, it's amazing the way they just kind of jump around and, like, use props in a way to get from one place to another. And Kay does a lot of that here in The Court Jester, which is, you know, it's a musical comedy. Some of the music stuff doesn't hold up as well because, you know, it depends on what your tastes are for this thing. 
something. I think the songs are just okay. I, They're a little annoying, yeah, but half are okay. Yeah. There's like one or two that I thought were legitimately fun. Like the the opening yeah. song, I I legitimately enjoyed. And then but the it's rest were Yeah, we're just yeah. It's medieval England. Uh there's a, a a king on the throne who really shouldn't be on the throne and the rightful heir, heir is an infant who's got this purple pimpernel birthmark on his thigh. Uh, there's a group of rebels, the Black Fox, which is basically a sort of Robin Hood analog. He's got a they even has his merry may a band of men as they say. Uh and they're trying to get the throne back to the rightful king. So it basically is kind of Robin Hood in a way. Uh, but it follows Hubert, which is Danny Kay, who's like basically the guy who's just there for entertainment purposes well, for the Black Fox's troops. Well, no, it's more than that. He's the nanny, well, which is actually one of the things right. I really liked about the movie because like it, it takes the Robin Hood story, but instead of telling it from the point of view of the heroic character, it's following this like lovable goof who doesn't really fall into the normal gender norms of the time. Uh, his romantic lead in the movie, his co-part, his co-star, she is a woman who's kind of a badass soldier woman in the story. So she's not really falling into traditional gender norms at this time either. Um, but yeah, sorry, I totally interrupted you going into the plot. Oh, no. um, it's okay. No, I mean, that was, you know, valid point. Yeah, she's like this total badass. He is not, but dreams of being more of a badass. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's, you never see that he's incapable of it. He's just never been given the chance, really. He feels like but, one of those guys who's a lover, not a fighter, who really wishes he wasn't. Exactly. And he basically ends up, he and her get assigned a task that everyone's like, oh, I'm not sure this guy's really ready for this task that involves like going in there and him taking the place of the court jester who they have knocked out uh, and, you know, so they can take his place and uh, him sort of like infiltrate himself into the court. So eventually they can make their move, his troops. And yeah, I mean, it's funny. There's a, the most funny thing is there's a running thing about him being hypnotized. Uh, <laughs> I, I and like every time somebody makes, what was it? They snap their fingers. They, I can't remember what their it fingers. Yeah. Every time they snap his fingers, he goes in and out of like this personality. That's like, yes, I can do anything. I'm a badass, and I'm incredibly bad, like cool and awesome. And really he can, right? Like he's like the greatest sword fighter in the world. Cause he believes in himself. And then when he snaps his fingers back, he turns back into a little bit cowardly, but nice version of himself. And there's scenes where like in the middle of a big sword fight sequence, he keeps switching back and forth. And it's great. Well, that's the thing that really surprised me. Like, the madcap humor that we come to think of, like this era, that um, uh, I, I want to say like a modest proposal, but I think I'm referencing some old book instead of the actual story. Um, <laughs> but like, this is a high point of that. I was not ready for how smart the dialogue was and how quick it is, and without fancy editing, there is no like cutting back and forth. It's just they're gonna sit there and they're gonna do a two minute long, amazing slapstick. Uh, dialogue comedy sequence and it's going to work like just mwah, like nothing else yep uh i agree completely it's a lot of fun it's not super long no it's a quick one and uh it's got young angela lansbury which everyone just thinks is murder she wrote old lady but she used to be really hot when yeah. she was yeah. young <laughs> and basil rathbone is one of the bad guys here i mean this is it's solid entertaining classic comedy that was surprisingly not very well liked when it came out but Years later, it got re reconsidered and now is considered a pretty major classic of uh, comedy. As it should be. And yeah. And this 
comes with, as do all of this new Paramount Presents series, a, a seven-minute short. I mean, it's different. The minutes are different on each one, but seven minutes here with Leonard Malton talking about the court jester and talks about the various aspects of it that makes it notable, little bits of the history for it. And we all love Leonard Malton. He is one of the last remaining of sort of the old guard of critics, and it's so nice to whenever we see him on stuff. Plus, he's just a really nice guy. Anyone who's ever been to Fantastic Fest, like, he was invited there one year for a thing, and he loved it so much, he just never left. He's there every year now and comes in with his daughter, and he's nice to everybody and hangs out yeah. with everybody. And we're he just, like, oh, yeah, he just loves film and loves to talk about film he's a cool guy he does and i love the fact that he's willing to parody him like laugh at himself <laughs> yeah. like there's famously on mystery science theater uh there's an episode called laser blast where they're like making fun of malton with his famous big movie guide and saying look he gave this movie more stars than he gave return of the jedi look he gave it more stars you know comparing it like that and he thought it was so funny he asked them if he could come on an episode playing himself to continue the joke and i think that's great <laughs> that is awesome. that's that's a cool guy right there. Anyway, we're going to move on to our next title, which is The Little Prince. Uh, it's funny how many people don't realize that this really classic, legendary 1943 novella, you know, this thing was a big part of my childhood growing up reading, had been made, in fact, into a movie. And not like even a little movie either, although it certainly got passed up, I thought, by a lot of studios. Uh, you know, it didn't get great distribution when it came out. By the director of Kung Fu Panda. Like, like yeah. th this is a legit release, and I it, had it never heard is. of it. Yeah, it came out in 2015. It's a it's a expensive looking animation animated film with big names: Jeff Bridges, Rachel McAdams, Paul Rudd, Bud Court, Marion Cotillard, Benicio del Toro, James Franco, Ricky Gervais, Paul Giamatti, Albert Brooks, and Mackenzie Foy. I mean, that's not. That's, this is a big animated release, and it got all but ignored. And it's ridiculous because this, it got almost nothing but great reviews when it came out. And just, I don't know if they just didn't have distribute theory. it appropriately or what the deal was. But um, I think it's, I guess, the, oh, go on. Yeah, I think what happened it was originally going to be have a wider release, but budget cuts at Paramount said, okay, well, this didn't make the cut. And so Netflix got the U.S. distribution rights and had some theatrical release, but so much smaller because they just wanted to put it out on their platform. But this is a great movie that takes the classic story of The Little Prince, uh, which is kind of a, you know, it's a, a sci-fi, light sci-fi tale, uh, but that's like, you know, about that you would t tell your kids, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a sci-fi in the vein of like the old 1920s man on the moon, uh, yeah. black and white film where they shoot people up to the moon in a bullet and they run around and then fly the bullet back home. Like it's so it's, it's telling the whole story from the original book, but it's doing it couched within a much bigger story, which I think scared off a lot of people from seeing this. That's but where I was going to shouldn't go. have been. I think the much yeah. bigger story is probably why this didn't really get the push it deserved. Because like a lot of the times when you have children's films, they have very easy to follow, like you know, morals of the story, be friendly to people. And this is one that's dealing with themes that you typically see more of in movies geared towards like teenagers or older, older children or even adults. Cause it's essentially about a mother and daughter who, 
you can tell the mother had a hard life and she's a single mom and she doesn't want her daughter to have the hard life that she had. And so she has turned her type A personality into an organizational nightmare uh, and basically has this kid's life structured to every minute and every second of the day. All so that they can get into this very prestigious school, which, of course, is so that they can get into the other school and to the other school and so she can be like a Supreme Court justice. And the girl is just crumpling under the pressure of it all. Uh, and so they move into a house exclusively so that they can get into this very special school, apparently. And the neighbor is the is the crazy old person in the neighborhood who doesn't really follow any of the HOA rules and just does whatever the hell he wants to. Um, <laughs> and, of course, with... Uh, being just the antithesis of everything this girl has ever grown to know she kind of becomes friends with him and she falls uh into admiring this old guy who is the one who tells her the story of the little prince uh as if it happened to her and the way they're couching it is that he wrote this story of his adventures that happened overseas uh, right, which ends up dovetailing back into her sort of like going through the whole it's all true, it was all true type of thing, you know, and like, okay, and that sounds like it's ruining it, but it never does because it captures the exact same spirit that the book does. And they animate them differently, too. They animate yeah. the the broader story and traditional CG animation, and then The Little Prince is very much a stop motion, just gorgeous dreamland. It absolutely mm -hmm. does the story justice. Yeah, I, I highly recommend this one. I think it got skipped over by way too many people. It's fun to watch as an adult. It's completely appropriate for children of any age. And it's just gorgeous. And I'm sorry, Jeff Bridges playing the like the crazy guy in the neighborhood here is reading the story. That's like perfect dead on casting. Here. And, uh, just, <laughs> just for what it's worth, my son is four and a half and he adored the ever loving heck out of it. I bet. Yeah. Um, so this is on Blu-ray. Obviously, you can still watch it on Netflix if you want. The Blu-ray comes with a 25, 26-minute making-of process and then a music video by Camille, whoever the hell that is, for the song Turnaround. <laughs> I, I don't know. Don't ask Someone. me. I assume that was it, probably in the end credits or some as, shit. As we said, we're in our where we're all both nearly 40 or over 40. We don't know who people are anymore. <laughs> no, we have no idea. I'm not even trying to know anymore. All right, so we're going to move on to another thing, which is also animated, but definitely not okay for your no. kids, or at least not your very young kids, and that is Rick and Morty, the complete seasons one through four Blu-ray. Now, you may be asking yourself, this is directed towards you guys who already are big Rick and Morty fans, which obviously there's quite a few of out there, uh, and who may already be collecting these sets or have been thinking about collecting these sets separately. So what is the advantage here of getting the complete seasons one through four as opposed to just picking up the older sets used or something? It's like, well, I'll tell you what the advantage is. This comes actually with a, uh, well, it comes with a folded up poster that's new art. And that's about there it. Other than that, it's just literally the original releases of seasons one through four. But that being said, I didn't have any of those. Uh, and I was super excited to get this. I rewatched the entire thing, which I rarely have the time. I told myself I wasn't even going to do it. I'm like, I don't have time for this. But I did. I watched every episode again. I watched all the bonus features of which, you know, same ones that came with the original sets. But there's a lot of bonus stuff in here that's really worth watching. 
And I just fell in love with it all over again. I think this show is absolutely hysterical. It's very much aimed at adults. It's very cynical, but it manages to find its find a heart as well. And to anyone out there who's like, oh, Rick and Morty, a bunch of assholes. Yes, there's a bunch of assholes who like a lot of stuff that you like and are really loud and annoying about it, too. Rick and Morty just had a, had a moment with the assholes where they were just being especially uh, assholish. But trust me, Star Wars, Marvel, Star Trek, fucking anything has just as many asshole fans as Rick and yeah, Morty just does. Like- Go watch it. It's a great show. It is acerbic. It is overly violent sometimes. It is really sentimental and beautiful other times. It creates sincere, interesting characters and then is so self-aware that it's it's somehow like uplifting and horrifyingly, horrifyingly <laughs> depressing at the same time. Uh, like, like it's a great show. Just don't ever talk to anybody who likes it. Just like watch it in your bubble and just ignore <laughs> everyone else and just be like, you know what? I'm going to enjoy Rick and Morty because it's fun. Yeah, just I would say it's okay to talk to other people who like it. That's going a little far, <laughs> but maybe not on an open forum. So don't go to the Rick and Morty fans shit posting Facebook page if you're looking to stay away from the asshole. Like, fans, in all seriousness, because they are out. There. If you haven't heard of, the, if you haven't seen the show yet, like it is fiercely intelligent. It is a show about sci-fi tropes that knows so very much how to turn those tropes on their head that, like. I don't know. Every single episode is rewarding and rewards revisiting. It, it's a great show. Oh, yeah. Watch it again and again no, and again. I, I rewatching this all the way through, which the first three seasons I had already seen twice. And this one was the season four. I had not seen the second half of it at all. First half it only watched once. And I just laugh continuously through this whole fucking thing. It's just so clever and well-written and really well-animated. I mean, there's just jokes that you want want to keep going back to. And there's a weird... Uh, for those who haven't maybe gotten season four yet, which just the Blu-ray for that just came out as well about the same time as this set did, uh, there's a couple new extras here, like Samurai and Shogun, which is this weird Japanese short where it's Rick fighting a bunch of ninjas. <laughs> I don't know why it's, it's there, but it's kind of cool that it's, it's there. It's their due of Lone Wolf and Cub, if I'm right. Well, and, Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. So I'm kind of curious. I want to dig through the special features on this because the people who produce it in between the seasons, because they always take like seven months to a year in between, se- in between seasons, uh, if not mm. two years, they always produce these short little animated segments and they'll animate them like in the Animal Crossing style and have Rick and Morty in Animal Crossing. So they'll go and they'll do a really trippy music video for um, Run the Jewels. And so like, like, yeah. they have a lot of great content that's absolutely worth watching. Well, you, you the sad see. thing is a lot of that isn't here, though. Oh. And that really surprised me how much shit like that we know exists that just isn't in the set. I'm like, well, this is one of these times it really would have called for yeah. a, like a whole nother bonus disc because there's no end of other extra Rick and Morty stuff out there. Like they didn't even include the original Rick and Morty animated short that was originally a sort of satire of Back to the Future. I've seen that. You know? I'm OK with that. That shit's dirty. <laughs> It's very but I mean, dirty, like, but still. I discovered Rick and Morty as a show because of their Simpsons crossover, where mm-hmm. uh, they blow the Simpsons up and then have to reconstitute them into some 
some semblance of like a gooey Simpson shaped glob. And I think that was just a YouTube special. I don't think that ever ended up yeah. in the show proper. Like that shit's and everywhere. It it's, it's amazing. It's not, and it's not on here. So uh, probably a rights issue there yeah. specifically, but like there is no end of extra features here though. Some of it's just weird. Like there's one like, oh, it's the cast party. And literally it's just some band you've never heard of. It's like an hour of them filming the band and occasionally going out in the crowd and filming people you don't know who they are, who are just <laughs> random crew getting drunk and dancing. But it's no like, there's no jokes or anything. It's just literally like handheld footage of some band you've never heard of. Play it's probably like someone's party. wife or husband who came to the party and was like, sure, I'll shoot a video. Why not? Uh, and they were like throw it on the <laughs> disc yeah i don't yeah it's like oh well we still have space you might as well i don't know I, i'm like i'm happy as hell to get this regardless of that some of the bonus features are really cool some of them are dumb and there's a lot that's missing someday there'll be an ultimate set that'll hopefully include a lot more of the cool stuff we know that's out there but as it is just the episodes alone having easy access to them is a giant yes. fucking plus as far as i'm concerned we'll move on to our next title which is a film that although i posted about on my social media hey i can't believe this is the first time i'm ever seeing this movie my little sister reminded me that this is not in fact true that when we were very little kids we were forced to watch it a number of times but i'm not surprised that she remembers that and i don't because even today i find very little of value in 1970s giant blockbuster hit based off the giant blockbuster novel love story some things are just not for everyone and this is not really this is i mean i get it that it kind of set the model for the modern romantic drama and that's ex- and every time i ever complain about romantic dramas where that's the one genre i rarely like Everything that that I don't like about them is intrinsically in this film. <laughs> this is where it came from. Now, when you posted on social media about this movie, I remember making fun of you because of the tagline for this movie. Uh, love Being in love means never having to say you're sorry, which is the which is worst ridiculous. relationship advice to ever give someone in the universe. Um, yeah, and, it's, it's horrible. And it's absolutely the opposite of correct. I laughed at you. It was like, ha, ha, ha. I don't have to watch that movie. And then, and then you, you had to watch stack. that movie. Yeah, like, <laughs> so I I don't necessarily really want to go terribly into detail through the story. Boy meets girl. Boy and girl fall in love. They have some, tra- they have some troubles. Uh, they turn their backs on their family to be with each other because she's from a poor family and he's from a rich family. And then they kind of make it work. And then one of them dies and from a disease yeah. well and they tell you in the very beginning oh, of the, right. film. They the do. first like minute of the film okay. they're like oh she's gonna okay, die right. of cancer. so yeah th- then okay. she dies i didn't <laughs> yeah. i got to right there and didn't want to throw the spoiler out um yeah. i mean it's it's like it was in the trailers and, it's like the first the first bit of dialogue in the film tells you that that's what's gonna happen that's like now let's see everything leading up to and, that and the like, thing is why ali mcgraw and ryan o'neill are good in their roles the actor the other characters and actors are sorry the other actors all do good jobs in their roles. It is filmed in a kind of interesting pseudo documentary style. And it, it jumps long time jumps without really uh, going into it or spending too much time explaining it. Like there's a lot in this movie that I actually like as a structure, but no matter what, every time I come around to it, um, you get to the last quarter where the guy, the main character of the movie, because this is his movie, um, 
He does a few things which I found kind of questionable, and then which which is perfectly ex- not necessarily acceptable, but it was it was okay at the time, I guess. But and it's not even that that soured me on him. It's that once that happened, I started watching the movie in a different way, and. Ultimately, this is a story about a woman going through some really horrible uh, things, but also meeting someone very special. Told you the story of that someone special. Like, she's the one who has the interesting story here to me. It's not him. And Only it's not a, really about her, the, you know? I mean, like, and she's by far the more interesting character. Yeah. And the movie dodges around really getting into her. You're just like, oh, she's kind of acerbic and not willing to take anybody's shit. She's definitely, you know, a, at least tangentially a, a dedicated yeah. feminist, if yeah. you will. She's a more interesting character than the bland, generic Ryan O'Neill. She's played by Ally McGraw. But that being said, the movie never really does much with that. It's a generic romantic drama that does everything that romantic dramas do including the like like i said the tragic ending that they warn you about ahead of time i mean it's like i realized this was the prototype for that entire genre of films because this was a monster hit when it came out in fact i love that there's so much cynicism about it now and even at the time some people hated it like harlan ellison called it shit which is in quotes (laughs) other people also were like this is just triacly triacle nonsense it's a bad movie and i kind of came out on their side here you went i think this is not a good movie at all and i think it's ridiculous the whole as they called the ally mcgraw disease which is the closer you get to death the more beautiful you are which is like literally what is happening in this film you know Uh, what they need to do i rarely say this they need to take love story and they need to remake it but be from the woman's point of view it's her story from the beginning to end uh, yeah. that's something that I think you can make an interesting story out of instead of this. Yeah, except at the end, they go full fall. And like, so like I said, I'm <laughs> going to tell you about the time I almost died. Yeah, I'd be on board for that shit. If she ended up being like a witch who cursed the guy and then possessed his body with her soul. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. awesome. That's a great ending. Yeah. <laughs> like, they totally now I really want to see that movie. Come on, so Hollywood. Remake a love story tr- and make it a horror. Where you think it's tra- tragedy, romance, porn, like love story, but then it turns out like it wasn't the girl who died all the time. Oh it was god. actually the dude whose personality was subsumed. Oh my god! <laughs> I, they should make that. I don't know if they should make that, but this is another Paramount Presents set where you know, once again, folded open. It's got the poster. It's got a commentary by director author Arthur Hiller. It's got a look back at it called Love Story, a classic remembered, and it's got a brand new. The filmmaker focused Leonard Malton talking for about six and a half minutes about the film. So, yeah, love story. That's what it is. You can probably skip it unless this sounds Chris, like your Chris, type of thing. I'm sorry. For what? I don't know. Just because I don't love you, I guess. Oh, I see. You were trying to get me to go. You never have to say that. No, you do. You do have to say that. So, like, in fact, I've discovered one of the most important things you can learn about being in a relationship is... It's very important to be able to say, I'm sorry. (laughs) Just saying, you know what? I was wrong. That's a super important thing in any relationship. Well, let's talk about another very long, dry, romantic drama that didn't hit with me whatsoever. But this one has hot sex in it. Kind of. You know, whatever. It's Ammonite. I know this is a film that a lot of people were talking about from 2020 as being a big deal. It got some strong critical reviews. Uh, 
but it also got some weak critical reviews. They just really did a great job of promoting it as if it was the strong where critical ones were the only ones that were there. And I'll watch anything with Kate Winslet. Yeah. I think she's wonderful, uh, really wonderful actress and, and person. I'm really starting to feel that way about Saoirse Ronan yeah. as well, who I really like. And I, I definitely felt that way about Gemma Jones. Anyway. This is based very loosely, and I mean extremely loosely, on a real story here where Kate Winslet plays real-life British paleontologist Mary Anning, who, in retrospect, has been looked at as being a very important figure in the field. But in her own age, although she was known, she was regularly just sort of walked all over by the men in the of the men of letters. Just so, just so you know, if you have kids and they're into dinosaurs at all you probably know who she is already. I actually got True. to spice up a fun conversation with our some of our more conservative friends because we were talking about her in no way related to this movie, just separately having like, oh yeah, our kids know who this is and we're learning about her. And it was like, well, do you know what movie I just saw? <laughs> You know, see, sometimes I serve a purpose. There you go. Making you do this. Here we go. It actually came in useful. You you, you, you schooled them, put them in their place. But yeah, so here you go. Eminette. This is like, the what? When does this take place? It's like, like late 1800s. 18, it's, I think she was yeah, in the late like, 1800s. And so yeah, something like she, that. she basically, yeah, she's just shy of destitute. She's trying to do her paleontology, but realistically is just living day-to-day trying to support her sick mother and a wealthy i don't know a wealthy dude comes in yeah, wealthy fan yeah. paleontology <laughs> stand <laughs> a wealthy fanboy comes in and is like look i really respect your work let me pay you and by the way i'm gonna bring my wife along she i think basically just like was depressed was what it was and they were just Basically, Saoirse Ronan is his depressed wife, and he brings her along just as a thing to do, and when he gets bored with doing his paleontology and wants to go off on his grand adventure, he pays uh, Kate Winslet's character to basically watch after Saoirse Ronan, um, who quickly, due to a really, really big mistake, falls ill and is bedbound for weeks and weeks and weeks. And during this time when Kate Winslet's kind of browbeat into taking care of her, they start to form a real connection uh, and open up and feel a warmth. And then that's where the movie now, starts now, to get better is when it really gets into their relationship. And, and and let me just say that as far as reality goes, that's as close as their relationship probably ever probably. went. Like, in fact, uh, uh, to all reports, they were friends. And that's about as close as it went. There were not insinuations that there was more there. This movie, on the other hand, is like, no, there was hot lesbian sex going on. I mean, damn. And I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, that's fine. I don't care. But, like, it's just everything we've said is the entirety of this movie, so, really. I, I messaged it's, you. There's not much happening. I messaged you randomly while watching this movie, and it was kind of what... I land on as to what my problem with the movie is, is I feel like the filmmakers were far more interested in the trappings of the world that she lives in, in the late 1800s Europe, than they really are about the characters at all. Because the yeah. cameras would often ignore the people and focus on, you know, the broom sweeping or the way they light the candles. And it was it was really focused on that instead of ever getting us into the characters' hearts. And Kate Winslet, who does a good job portraying a character, is portraying a character who is 
who has withdrawn into herself completely at this point. And so it's, it's hard to form that connection with her. Or at least I had a hard time. It, it, I, well, I think you hit the nail on the head though, where like, this might just be a case of a movie that's just not really for me. Like I'm sure yeah, my wife I mean, would love it. There's not a lot here to grab onto though. I mean, like, for, like I get the whole, oh, okay, so at the period of time, you know, you bring the lesbian angle into it because, like, oh, a forbidden love. But it doesn't even really get that deep into that. Like, there's not really a, a confrontation period here over it or anything. I mean, we don't really ever know but so much about either one of these characters. Kate Winslet's character is so cold and cut off and distant the entirety of this film. And the whole film is shot in this blue-gray that just made me want to go to sleep. <laughs> I found this dreadfully dull. No, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I did, too. I mean, I I thought there were some pretty shots in it that kind of kept me interested. Uh, and I'm I'm a Saoirse Ronan stan. I mean, she kind of is where I got the idea for the name for my daughter. So I'm I'm down with it. So I watched it, but you're right. Like I, I didn't get the emotional payoff that I wanted in the end, and the story, it it just never pulled me along. It was just there. There were cool bits, uh, this, but that's it. Yeah, I mean, their ports cinematography is nice, but even so, it's just so covered with fog. Everything oh. just looks like it's got a resin. I'm not on even going to say the cinematography. Like, yes, the cinematography is good and impressive. Really, I just meant there are some points where, like, they go, this is how this works in the 1800s. When someone wants to go swim in a beach, they back a wagon up into it. And, like, like that's just, <laughs> what? Okay. I, 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 cool. I guess I was Check already familiar with a lot of that <laughs> stuff. Wasn't. So I was like, I, I didn't feel like there were a lot of discoveries for me personally. But, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, Ammonite doesn't work for me. It comes with a five and a half minute making of, which is just an EPK, but with Kate Winslet, Sergi Ronan, and writer and director Francis Lee. I wanted this to be a lot better than it, it was because I really love, like, you know, the bringing out the unsung heroes of science, especially especially when they turn out to not be white men. And I loved paleontology. I grew up a big fan of it, but this didn't really do much for either thing here for me. So, eh. uh, and once again, not really the hugest fan of romantic dramas, romantic comedies. On the other hand, I'll watch the shit out of some of those, but romantic dramas, not so much. Let's move on to our next one, which is neither, which is happy times. <laughs> <laughs> This one comes from Art Exploitation Films, which I know for Aaron is always a uh-oh. Yeah, it is. But, <laughs> it is. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, but they've put out some stuff we've genuinely have, really liked. And, and this is honestly, it, it is one of the better ones that they've put out that I've, that I've seen at least. Um, I, I tend to agree with you as well, although I don't think it ever quite becomes what it wants to be, which is it like an American-Israeli Quentin Tarantino's death trap. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely is not for lack of effort, though. Uh, it's we follow this family, Seagal, and uh, played by Liraz Shamami, and her husband Yossi, played by Ido Moore. They're prepping a post Sabbath evening with the oh. dinner and drinks and what have you, with you know the big extended family in, invited for this, uh, friends, business. Uh, friends that sort of thing and you know the kids are even there you're like okay so this is going to be maybe more like the big night or something like that is what i'm expecting like a more uh, you know 
You know what I mean? It doesn't feel yeah, like it's going it, to turn into the type of deeply violent, it, brutal it, film it, that it ends it up becoming. Like it was going to be an Israeli much ado about nothing kind of thing. Just like here, here's a party, and this is this is the story of a party, and it's a fun party. That's it. And then, right. And then they start fighting, and uh, the... well, it's all the the cousin Michael, played with Michael Aloni, who's like an actor who's who's dating a non-Jewish, non-white girl. Uh, uh, Alaya, played by French singer Steffi Selma, everyone's like, oh, God. Like, he's the guy who every time they, they do something culturally Jewish, he's got a shit all over <laughs> it because he's not really into his he's not really into the religion aspect anymore he's kind of like no no come on be be reason like let's what purpose does this serve he's that guy it's like it's fine to feel that way it's another thing to when in the place of people who feel that way to shit all over yeah. it so right off the bat you're like what a prick why are you doing this and they don't like him either and a beginning early tussle between him and one of the relatives leads to more and more and more strife till by the end of it they're essentially all hunting each other with murder on the mind yeah and i don't know i i wanted this movie to be a lot more than it was i struggled to connect with a lot of the characters because they're all kind of terrible human beings and Mm. unfortunately you don't you don't get a ton of detail beyond how terrible they are and like a lot of the men are really chauvinist and a lot of the people the women are just like constantly snipping they they fall into what feel like stereotypes to me and so like that that kept me at arm's length and like it's almost cartoonish but in an intentional way like that's what they're aiming for is these personalities to be bigger than life and absurd but like uh, what it is is it never really there's never enough for you to grab onto for you to like care about what happens to these characters and the dialogue isn't quite witty and sharp enough for you for that not to matter it's trying to be about something it's trying to make social commentary on living this wealthy excessive life and the, the kind of people who do it and how people who are this wealthy and this rough and mean don't really do nice things to each other the problem is is that that social commentary wasn't particularly nuanced it wasn't particularly funny and it also kind of falls out once the death starts it just becomes less about the commentary and more just about just shit going weird and like some of the sequences like there is a lot of really funny bits in here uh Mm -hmm. there are some cool violent moments in here that'll make you go oh that was cool um but like you said it's never enough to really connect it. it if this feels like um a great junior effort for somebody who's gonna like take a lot of these same ideas and then maybe refine it with a bigger budget um strong cast yeah. though i want to say i did like all the performances Agreed. in this i thought they interacted well especially the the lead female character the 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 mother of the household the, she's great yeah, she's the person uh, you really... latch on to in the movie her and yeah. strangely enough the girlfriend uh the, there's yeah. an interaction between the two of them towards the uh, last portions of the movie that i thought was just like this is the best part of the movie i authentically think this is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. All right, so this comes with a few extras. There's an alternate cut of one scene with Alaya and Noya. There's a deleted scene that's a little under a minute with Alaya and Avner, uh, where she basically Alaya tells him about 
how she kickboxes and he's like what uh there's a blooper reel for about seven and a half minutes and a trailer reel for other exploitation titles overall like like we both said this is okay it's not as strong as a few of the really great exploitation titles but it's much better than the bulk of exploitation titles this is one that's entirely watchable and fun and i think there's a legit audience for this whereas the bad ones there's not uh, so our next one is one that I really genuinely think is garbage, and I don't understand why some of the horror community is re- re- reacting so positively to the film La Casa, a Chilean film from filmmaker Jorge Olguin. I'm sorry, I'm probably saying that totally wrong, and I really apologize. But it's set in Chile during 1986. Did I say the name? La Casa. Uh, it is a found footage film. Which uh, you know does I don't have a problem with per se, and a lot of people do, is but I do not. Act- I don't think it's actually a found footage film, but it's it's, it, it's like not. That, 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 okay, we're gonna get it's, to that. It's, that's a, a big problem right yeah. there. Is they shot the entire film as a found footage film, well, with that same cheap style, and it's not a no. found. Fo- I it, thought, oh, is there going to be a gimmick that explains why it's shot this way? No, no it's just a cheap way to well, shoot a film. So like. The cool thing is that this is a movie from a community where we don't see a lot of film and a genre film. And what they do is they, they basically make a one take film, um, which it, like Chris was about to do, it follows a police officer who's going through a personal drama with his wife. He shows up at a house where they've heard some screams right when he's about to leave. He hears some screams, too, and they even see something. And so he goes into the house to investigate and and basically just gets chased around by ghosts until the end of the movie, and then it ends. Um, and yeah. then there is a there's kind of a little twisty flashback that where we understand a little bit more context. But this movie yeah. effectively has zero story. This is not. Yeah, I mean, like, like at all. The subtext is the only story there is, and it barely and, touches on it, which is that it takes place in 1986 under Pinochet, which, and so you know that any cop during this period is probably not a real yeah. good guy. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's an experiment film. It's a, can we make this movie and, and fake one shot? Which, which they don't really do it in one take. There are several cuts that if you look out for it, you can very yeah. much sh- check it out. But the, the big problem is that like we said, they, they don't shoot it artistically. They shoot it like a found footage movie. I was 20 minutes in until someone went in between the camera and the the character before I went, oh, this isn't a found footage movie. And it right. blew my mind. And like it's they they hide things from the audience and the camera moves, which works if it's in a found footage movie, but doesn't work if you're in a traditional movie. Like there's yep. all kinds of things they do that just do not work in this format. It, it feels like if they had made it a found footage, I would have been okay with a lot of that stuff, but it's not. And so it pisses me off. Yeah. I constantly was going, that doesn't make any sense in this context. It doesn't make it. I constantly kept going that, what are you doing? That doesn't work. I, I was so mad at this movie because of how just technically ignorant it is of the style of of horror films and yet clearly they watch a lot of modern horror films because they're ripping off as much as they can afford to rip off here it's all the most generic ghosts and scares here the only interesting thing about this movie at all is the little bit of subtext can sub re contextualization the film does at the very very end that has to do which, with the political setting but even that's like okay sure I, which that happened and i went holy hell, like, this is a great sequence. Like, he's actually doing an amazing job acting. I'm in it. Oh, and the, and, and the movie's over now. 
Okay, cool. I guess that was that, it. That's I, all I you got. We were setting that's something up. <laughs> no, no, that's all you got. Was that? Ugh. I did not care for La Casa. Um, obviously, some other horror critics out there really liked it. I, I find very often that despite the fact that horror is one of the biggest things I watch, and I'll watch almost anything. I rarely am on the same page as, say, people who write for Bloody Disgusting or things like that. I'm like, what movies are y'all watching? Because they ain't the same ones I'm seeing. I I really love horror, but it's also the genre that I've probably become pickiest about. I'm I'm like, no, no, (laughs) I love it, but I like, I love good stuff. I I really can't stand, like, a lot of the things that La Casa has in it. They, They just, they aggravate the hell out of me. Well, we're going to move on to our next one, which is from Arrow, the El Duce tapes, which I guess you could call a horror movie of sorts. If you're not familiar with El Duce, he's better known. Well, he's better known as El Duce. His real name is Eldon Hoke. He was a American musician uh, who was best known as the drummer and lead singer of the Mentors, who are sort of the godfathers of shock rock, if you will, which I know right off the bat for a lot of people that's like, nope, don't care. And I was, I mean, this, the mentors were big when I was like a little punk rocker and I heard just enough of them to go, I want nothing to do with these guys. Oh. They're, this is disgusting. I want nothing. To, they have songs about rape oh, yeah. and like. Well, you're uh, going to see, they call their rock rape rock, not shop rock. It's yeah. rape rock. Yeah. And like, yeah. I, I blissfully had, I knew not one single person or band in this movie except Guar. And, and I ended up feeling kind of okay with that at the end, actually. And for the record, and I knew Guar personally, all of them, they were like, one of them was my neighbor for a while. Uh, I used to sell him weed back in the day. <laughs> they were really nice guys. They did not consider themselves shock rock. They would often be slammed onto tours with the mentors and not be entirely happy about it because they're like, that's not really what we do. I mean, we're gross out rock, but we're doing it as a satire. These guys actually are like, really don't care if people walk away from their stuff at you know if somebody like listen to their songs like hey i raped somebody because el duce told me to they'd be like oh awesome dude like they're those guys yeah. they were not nice people so, so and here's what the movie is is that during this time in the 90s when the mentors were big there is a retired actor who kind of like went to a show had a vhs camera became interested in them which god every part every time i hear something like that i just go ew but um, and so he started following them around and specifically following El Duce, Duce around, just recording him. And in this movie, this documentary is the footage that they shot. And so El Duce is a white supremacist pro rape rock star who is an alcoholic with a very tortured life who's basically drinking himself to death over the course of this decade. And like this this documentary is a hard R edged version of the VH one rock and roll documentaries, looking at people who rocked themselves to death. And like, that's what this movie is, Um, Mm -hmm. which, which this is all recorded fact. I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything. Um, All of this is new too. like, no one's seen this stuff before. This guy just recently was like, Oh, I should still have all these tapes. I should, I should do something with them and and like assembled this documentary. I'm not going to lie. This is an enthralling movie. Um, It tells a nuanced, powerful story of someone who went through some horrible shit and didn't survive. And like, but it's, he's also a heinous human being who every second you're just like, I loathe you, man. 
Like, yeah, there's it's not po- at best you can feel a little sorry for him because he's like a big dumb animal. I mean, he is not an intellectual on any level. Like this is not a smart man, right? This is a guy who had one skill. He's really great drummer and was pretty good at like writing the structure of songs, right? He had he was everyone would say, yeah, he before this he was in a jazz band and they were well thought of, believe Which it or not, before he went that. to crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather hear that. Uh so like there's no question he was a really good musician, but he just fell in deep into the bottle and the drugs and to basically, oh, people pay attention to me if I act out. Yeah. He's the toddler who acts out who found a way to make a career out of it. And he's, like I said, he's dumb, but you see these scenes, like there's a sequence at a party where everyone is just, he can't even stand up, oh his pants are down, and everyone's just abusing him and laughing at it, and you're like, I mean, I don't think the guy doesn't deserve it, but at the same time, you're like, does anybody deserve well, it, this? It's one of those things uh, where you realize that, A, the 90s was so much worse than any of us realized who we were growing up in it, and you, you spend the whole time going, somebody needs to help this man. Like, this is somebody mm. desperately in need of help, and nobody would. Like It's one of those things you go, a lot of people are being hurt because of this man and the messages he's putting out there, but if somebody would just help this man, that would stop that but, shit. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, that's what this documentary is. It's a heartbreaking, harrowing tale of what happens if you don't get emotional help when you need it. And, and yeah. I, I, I don't know who to recommend this to because it's such a hard watch. Uh, I mean, I, I like I said, it, I had n- but I, yeah, also I, I had no interest in this band again, you, kind of thing. But I was like, OK, I never would have sought this out, but it got sent to me. And after watching, I'm like, this is fascinating. Yeah. Like, this is a portrait of a period of time that I lived through as a young punk. But the side of it, I tried to stay away well, from. And it's really kind of neat looking at this in-depth look at it of these type of people that you've got a safe distance from through your television screen. But watching these intimately filmed sequences with them, this guy was given, this actor was given full access with El Duce following him around and even leading up to like some of the last footage ever shot with him was that bit that famously in the documentary Kurt and Courtney has him saying that Courtney Love tried to pay him to murder Kurt Cobain, which obviously is with without question is considered to be not very strong testimony when it's coming from El Duce, who is a just a, a waste of life. One thing I do feel the need to say, though, uh, if you have any children or anybody who might be offended by foul language, do not watch this around them. No. I started watching no. this in my office while I was working when my family was outside. I made it four minutes in before I paused it, looked at the review, and was like, wait, 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 let, let me let me look at what this is about again. Yeah, no, I'm going to stop this and put something else on. I can't watch good, this around call. So there are a decent amount of bonus features here as well. There's audio commentary with the filmmakers. There's the Ryan Sexton tapes for about 34 minutes, which is the audio interview with Ryan Sexton, the the guy who assembled the tapes, uh, conducted by the producer, uh, there, th- which plays over stills. There's the El Duce sessions, which is video footage of uh, the film's original score by the band Nilbog. There's more El Duce tapes, another 13 minutes of unused material. There's more El Duce stories, which is about four minutes of uh, just more of that type stuff. Basically, a word salad of El Duce's long 
like shaggy dog tails that have been cut up into one thing. There's tape two Hollywood Reservoir, uh, which is, uh, it says, I, I didn't watch a lot of these, but it says a sweet interchange between uh, director Sexton and Hoke. There's reality check pretend present the woman woman tours, which is a female version of the mentors. If you can imagine such a thing as that existing, and there is a return to Rape Rock Mountain, which is a 30 minute interview, brand new with Steve Broy of the currently existing lineup of the mentors. You know, like I said, I'm glad I saw this. It was really fascinating. I can't picture I'm ever going to go back to it again, but I'm sure there are people out there who will. And I think this is kind of a one of a kind yeah. document of a period of time. But we're going to move on to our final title, which is a Criterion release of the 70s cult classic, The Parallax View. This is one of those ones I can't believe I never actually got around, or at least I don't remember. I might have seen at some point. If I did, I just don't remember. Directed by Alan J. Pacula, starring Warren Beatty in the lead. This political thriller film was one of those that, if it came out now, we'd be like, uh... Did QAnon produce this movie? (laughs) (laughs) But because it was the 70s, it was a very, very different time. This is kind of one of those movies that people who got super into conspiracy theories and start believing a lot of the the harder, you know, even the more plausible conspiracy theories, they probably got their start from movies like this and The Manchurian Candidate. This stands right next to The Manchurian Candidate as like, oh, it's that kind of movie. I kind of love political thrillers like this. Like, it Mm -hmm. really works for me. Um, it, it begins with a political assassination where a, a rising star senator is murdered in front of a lot of people and then immediately fast forwards like three years. And uh, Warren Beatty's actual his ex notices that people who were there who witnessed that are starting to die one by one by accident. And then right after that, she dies, which good. As soon as that happens, Warren Beatty's like, okay, cool. There's a crazy political conspiracy happening. They're murdering people. I'm going to investigate it. And the movie just tracks his investigation as he starts following a lot of weird leads. And and the movie itself is told in a really cold, withdrawn style that's a lot less interested in really, like, getting you excited about an action sequence and is far more interested in just kind of creating this paranoid cold feeling throughout the entire movie uh like i i dug the hell out of this even though it it was eye-rollingly obvious by the time we got into the last act what's going to happen not because it wasn't an original movie but because we've been around for 40 or 50 years watching this kind of thing get aped over and over and over again I feel like the current climate has definitely poisoned films like this to some degree where you're like, okay, this is, this was not happening. Yeah. Like as this movie insinuates, like that, there's always some degree of a uh, conspiracy going on in any sort of governmental level, no matter what government it was or when it was. But I, this is going a bit far from, from my taste about what that would be. And it's a very dark this isn't a heroic film. Even the main character is not really a hero per se. He's he's kind of an opportunist journalist, really. He's not wildly likable. And the film has a dark tone throughout and ends extremely dark and in a sense of, so what are you going to do? You know, the power is greater than you. So, Uh, and I got to admit, I just wasn't a huge fan of it other than the place it is in history. It's an interesting retrospective on a certain type of film that was coming out around 1974. Um, And obviously, I mean, I grew up 
being absolutely convinced there's no question that John F. Kennedy assassination was like a part of this huge far ranging conspiracy. And nowadays I just don't know if I, I I'm like that that's probably the most plausible of conspiracies, but there's more than enough to suggest, Oh, well, it's not a hundred percent. Like I, I don't know. I got a lot out of this movie. Um, I find that political thrillers like this, and there was another one that we watched with, um, Maybe Paul Newman in it not too long ago. Um, that was that was also kind of out there, but I view, I view them as not really political thrillers so much as like alternate history science fiction movies. Where this isn't our mm. world. I don't have to worry about is this real or not. Sure, every politician is a murderous sociopath who's going to have people assassinated at the drop of a hat. I'm going to buy into that. I'm okay with it. And I just kind of went with its goofy, weird style. I think a good portion of it might be the fact that I really dug how this movie was shot and edited. And, and I, hmm. I, if there's anything that our fans have probably figured out about me by now is that I am a cheap date for like fancy, weird shooting structures. And well, editing. it was actually a lot of note about that. Gordon Willis was a cinematographer who used anima anamorphic photography with a long lens with, and very unconventional framing with a shallow focus, which gives it such an unusual yeah. look. This was not a typical looking film for even films of this time, much less now. So yeah, it was definitely given a lot of note for this is an unusual, unusually like, filmed I'm I'm not nope. gonna lie. Like this is one of the this is one of the titles I enjoyed the most this week. Even like I had a I hmm. dug it. I mean, I don't hate this film or anything. I just find it kind of dry. That's fair. I, I was like, okay, really hard time engaging with it. It's an interesting story that kind of feels stretched out. Could have definitely used a bit more suspense. I'm like, what scenes there? Uh, I couldn't even figure out a lot of the time how he would get from one thing to the next. I'm like, these just feel like a series of set pieces. Why are you even there? How did you get there? I, I felt like not a lot of time was spent interconnecting all these Magic. sequences. <laughs> There's some cool parts. I like the very, very, like the last 10 minutes of this film are really kind of thrilling, but then it's kind of like, oh, damn, movie, Jesus Christ. I don't know. I, I I get this was considered to be a classic. It certainly was like, it had some degree of mixed reviews when it came out, certainly. Some people really liked it, like Roger Ebert. Other people really did not like it whatsoever and found it, like I said, very dry and boring. But what are you going to do? It won. It did end up winning a lot of awards as well. And over the years, it's actually been thought of as being better. Uh, you know, uh, so what are you going to? Yeah, there you go. There's an introduction from one of the film's big supporters who's talked for years about how much he loves it. Director Alex Cox, who's best known for making movies like Sid and Nancy and Repo Man. He does the film video introduction to two minutes in here. There's a an, uh, Alan J. Pacula, 1974, which is a conversation with the director, which is part of the Harold Lloyd Masters seminar that was held in 1974 at the American Film Institute. There's Alan J. Pacula in 1995, which was also recorded by the American Film Institute, obviously in 1995. Uh, there's Gordon Willis, which is an archival interview with the cinematographer talking about his work on this film. Uh, there's John Borston, who talks about working on the written uh, psychological test and parallax test video, which is the part where basically when they're training assassins, like how how they test for the right personality types, which I thought was something I wish they had ex spent more time exploring here, quite frankly. It's the most interesting part of the movie. And there's an illustrated lef leaflet by essay, uh, essay by a critic and a, an interview from 1974 with Pacula, as well as the technical credits. But yeah, hey man, that's it for our show. We only have one thing left to do before we're all done. What, what? You know what it is. Yes. Well, well sorry. I, 
I, I was unsure. I've been sitting here as you've been describing this movie going like, I don't really know what my pick of the week is. It's a, it's a because hard like, one because I think this, this, the thing I enjoyed the most here is Rick and yeah. Morty, but it's kind of a re-release too of just like previously existing stuff. I mean, it's a nice re-release, but it doesn't come in and of itself with bonus features that like other than the one poster. I mean, same is kind of true with the little Prince, which I really, really liked a lot, but, like, I mean, honestly, I'm not going to lie, the parallax view might be my pick of the week. Like, just from the set itself is a pretty decent set. It's a criterion. They do good stuff. And I really yeah. enjoy the movie. It's my pick of the week. There, there. All right, fuck it. Parallax I, view. I realize that m- most people like this movie more than I, a lot more than I do. I don't, like I said, don't even dislike it, but it is a solid set. And it's a film that if conspiracy fiction interests you at all, like spy thrillers, then by all means, you should see it. It's certainly been referenced in enough other things. It's that well known. So yeah, the Parallax View gets the... The lackadaisical, uh, <laughs> half-assed pick of the week. I guess it's the pick of the week. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Uh, we'll be back very soon. I'll be recording one actually tomorrow, probably with John Golson. So, <laughs> so there's another one soon, and hopefully Aaron will have another one even after that because I'm going to make him watch a whole bunch of movies really fast. He loves it when I do that. Yeah. <laughs>